0: It is so great to be back with you again and I want to just take a moment and look right into the cameras and welcome all of you that are joining us online, whether you're on the other side of computer screens or phone, all over the place, we are so glad that you are jumping on board with what's happening this morning and I'm so pumped to be back at City Hope Church and it is, uh, it is just an absolute honor to be back with you every single time, and I feel, if I can be honest with you, a little bit like a time traveler every time I come here, because like every time I come to City Hope, we've made these giant jumps in time. But when I first came to you, you were a couple hundred people meeting in a school then I I've I come to you again, and, and this building is being remodeled. And then I come again, and now look at this place. It's incredible. And it's just evident to me that God is doing something incredible through you and through your incredible pastors. And it, it, it sometimes when you're in the middle of something that is a move of God, it can be hard to see it because you're right there in the middle of it. But I want you to tell you, what you're experiencing is not normal. This is a God thing. I mean, churches don't normally grow with this expansive, explosive growth like you are, and it's just evident that the Lord is using you and your incredible pastors, Pastor Ben and Annalise. We love them. And that's just worth, to me, stopping for just a moment and giving God praise. Come on, put your hands together. Praise God for what he's doing at City Hope. So incredible. Um, So it's summer, summer at City Hope, and aren't you glad? I look forward to summer every year, and it's it's a road trip for us. Every time that we make our way out from Alabama to come up to see you guys, and uh, you guys always make us feel like family, we, we do that by design. We come via road trip because um, right after the last service, we'll shoot down and we'll, we'll go on our vacation. And uh, last time we were here, we were leaving City Hope, and uh, we, we left Wichita Falls and headed to Padre Island, which was um, a lot of fun for us. And, um, you know, they say basically there's two kinds of people. There's beach people and mountain people. I, I, I kind of thought, always thought of myself as like a mountain person. We went to the Wichita Mountains, had a great time out there with the Murrays, and, and it was just so much fun. So I was kind of a mountain person. My wife is a beach person. And so I'm mountain, she's beach, so when we got married, we compromised and go to the beach. <laughs> but, but a funny thing happened to me, like when we, when we started going to the beach year after year, I started kind of equating the beach with re- relaxation and, and vacation. And so over time, I kind of became a beach person, too. I started looking forward to going to the beach. And, um, and the last time we were at Pan, uh, uh, Padre Island, we had a great time because it was something that was interesting. You could drive your car right on the beach. I don't know if you've ever been down there, but that, like, that's not the case in Alabama. Like, like for my family, they thought this was like a novelty. They were like, wow, that's neat. But for me, I was like, this is game-changing, Because like in Alabama, before you can ever dip your little toes in the ocean, you've got to park your car and then load up all the stuff and carry it down to the beach. And it depends on how far away your parking spot is on how bad that is. Because guess who's carrying the stuff? You know, I mean, like you got to bag, you load up all the bag chairs and the canopies, and then you got to have the beach towels. And then if you're like me, you got kids and they want to have the beach toys. And so you got the beach toys and then you got to have the cooler because you're going to have all of the drinks. and It's going to be hot down there. So by the time you're done, you're like loaded down with all this stuff. And my kids are like, dad, I got this pair of flip flops. You know, the other one's like, I'll carry this sand shovel, you know, and, and I'm carrying all of this stuff down there. And, and I don't know if anybody else is like this in the room, but I'm the kind of guy that I'm just not going to make two trips, right? There is, it's just not going to happen to me. I would rather they, like the, the circulation get cut off to my lower extremities. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't matter if it's beach stuff or if it's groceries. I will sacrifice a loaf of bread rather than make it back to that car. And, and so like you, you're, you're out there and you're carrying all of this stuff to get to the place where you're supposed to be. Now, if you ever experienced anything like that, you know that once you're carrying a load like that, when you get to the place that you're supposed to be and you just drop that stuff down, there is this amazing feeling of relief. You're just like, ah, oh, this is so good. I'm so glad that I'm here. And I, and I think that we do that kind of thing spiritually speaking too. We carry things that God never designed us to carry. And we hold on to stuff for far longer than we ever should. And the straps from the baggage of your life might be digging into your shoulders. And your body is shaking under the weight of the pressure of the things that you're not designed to carry. And I'm just here to tell you that if you would just set that stuff down, you would experience an immediate relief. And so I want to talk to you today about something that we all go through, something that we've all experienced, something I've experienced in my own life. And it's one of those those things that, that you've paid for, you know, like you've walked through something and, and you've paid for it. And, and I believe this, like whenever God delivers you of something, he gives you dominion over that thing. And so we, we can speak to that thing with, with clarity today. And I want you to hear this with, because whatever um, you're going through today, I want to I speak some life over you. I want to speak life over those that might be experiencing what I'm talking about and just watch as those chains fall off of you, just like that baggage on, of beach gear because I think this, I think some of the heaviest things that we ever carry in our life are the ones that we pick up ourselves. And the heaviest of them all is shame. Shame is one of those things that literally affects everybody in the room. And it's one of those burdens that we think we are the only one carrying and we're not affecting anyone else, but that's not true. Shame is actually affecting everyone that you're connected to. Nothing is more painful than a hurt that you inflict upon yourself. Because you can leave people behind. And, and you could leave an event maybe with painful memories behind, but wherever you go, there you are, right? You're just there in the middle of it, and you can't run away from your own internal narrator, that internal voice that you have. And when you allow shame to take up residence inside your heart, it starts to develop this voice in you, and it'll follow you wherever and whenever you go. I like the way Proverbs says it in Proverbs 18, 14, says, the human spirit can endure a sick body but who can bear a crushed spirit. You know, we can get over a sickness, we can heal from an injury, but who can bear a crushed spirit? And that's exactly what shame wants to do to you. It wants to wound your spirit, it wants to change your identity, it wants to tie you to an event and keep you frozen in the past. And shame can be absolutely debilitating. It can be such a powerful thing it can crush you if you allow it. And I know this, this may seem a little heavy but for, for a summer at City Hope message, but I, I want you to bear with me because I, I believe, if you will, we're going to experience some freedom in this house today. Shame only comes to us from one place. Did you know that? It, it's not from you, and it's not, definitely not from God. And so, therefore, there only, there's only one other place that shame can come to you from, and I want to show it to you. It's in Revelation chapter 12. The Bible says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So John is showing us this picture of what happens when God kicks the devil out of heaven. Now, this is not the first time that you may have read about in Genesis. Actually, I don't know if you know this, but the devil himself is allowed to come up to God and present himself before the Lord. If you read the book of Job, Job chapter 1, verse 6, it talks about how the enemy with other fallen angels and with all the angels comes up before God. And And he talks about it. And you know what he does? He does exactly what John was saying. He's the accuser of the brothers and sisters. And so the devil will present himself before God and he will talk about all the things that you've ever done. He'll say, look, God, did you see what he said? Did you hear that? Did you, he, did you see what she did? And he presents these accusations before God. But if you, aren't you glad that if you're a believer in Christ, Jesus, who is seated right next to the Father, will look at him and say, yes, that's true, he did that. Yes, that is true, she did say that. But then I think he just shows him his hands and says, but that's been paid for. And then, since that accusation won't get anywhere with God, he goes to the next best place that he can find, and that's you and me. And he starts to accuse us, and he tries to to get us to believe in something. Dr. Henry Cloud is a Christian psychologist, and and he talks about shame in this way. He says that shame does three things. He tries to do these three things that will lock us up. And I like to call them the three plagues of shame. And so I I put these in your notes, and you can keep up if you're a note taker. Write this down. Number one, shame tries to make your sin personal. That's what shame will, will attempt to do. The devil will try to convince you that you are what you did. See, what shame will do is it'll take your lowest moment and try to make it your highest achievement and then get you to agree with that thing and believe that negative thought. And it's amazing to me how many times we want to agree with the negative, have you ever noticed this? Some people just love to agree with the negative. Some people will even try to label you on your lowest moment. We even, you, we, you could even see this inside your Bible. And not scripture itself, but you know the little, the little subtitles, the titles that they put before each one of those chapters, those are not inspired by God. Those are some author wrote that. I'll give you an example. They, we put blind Bartimaeus. Why do we call him blind Bartimaeus? Jesus healed him. How about seeing Bartimaeus? Right? Why don't we put like hearing Bartimaeus, because he heard from God and was healed. Why don't we put that? Instead, we try to label him by the shame, the thing that was meant to shame him. Or how about this, doubting Thomas. The dude doubts God one time. Thousands of years later, we're still calling him by that nickname, doubting Thomas. If I bet Thomas is like, how about the time I got martyred? How about the time that I, I died for talking about Jesus? But no, what we try and do is we, we look for the one thing that was uh, attempted to bring shame and we try to agree with that. Has somebody ever done that to you? Maybe they try to label you on some past mistake and maybe you've accepted that as your identity. Like, I'm just a liar. I, I, I'm the cheater. Maybe, maybe you say yourself, I'm, I'm I'm the divorced one. Listen, that is not what God has to say about you. See, what we do is we try to identify with the negative, but God says, that's not what I've done. See, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt says, what I did was bad. Shame says, I'm bad. See the difference? And what shame will do is shame will tell you that you're horrible, that you're wrong, that you're broken, you're ugly, you're flawed. Shame will say, you're disgusting, you're unlovable, you're dirty, you're weak, and and, and this is as good as it's ever gonna get. And it will build up this vocabulary inside of your mind that seeks to self-sabotage you. And if you're not careful, those, those things will start to seep inside of your heart. And you may have escaped an event or even the people surrounded in, in that event, but, but you can't escape yourself. And so what ends up happening is you, you keep on rehearsing this negativity in your life and shame is attempting to define you. Yes, you failed. Because guess what? We all fail. Every one of us make mistakes. Every one of us drop the ball. The Bible says we all fall short. But I like what Zig Ziglar said when he said that failure is an event, not a person. See, I want you to see this today. I want to help you with this. You are not what you did. That's not who you are. The Bible says in Colossians 3.3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. So in other words, you don't have to tote that around. See, God is the one that says in the book of Psalms, he says, I've remembered your sin no more. I separated him as far as the east is from the west. I think that's so beautiful because God said that intentionally in that way. And the reason why is because if you were to walk out the doors here and if you were to get in your car and you got on a plane and and flew to the North Pole, you could stand up on the top of the North Pole, ho, ho, ho. You could be on the very top of this planet and say, I'm at the northernmost part of the world. Or you could jump in a car, get in a boat, and you could go to the South Pole and find the southernmost part of our planet. Sorry, flat earthers. It's real, okay? You, you could find this part of, of the world, but if you got out of the, the building today and you went east, you cannot find the easternmost point. You know why? Because east just becomes west. And see, this is what God is saying about your sin. He says, I have remembered it no more. I have separated it so far that it is so far I can't even see it anymore, that's what scripture is saying. You no longer have to tote around the shame of your past because Jesus died for you. And when he died for you, if you accept that and you receive that, then the old person is no longer even visible to God. He has chosen to forget about it. But shame wants to, not, wants to tell you that's not true. See, the second thing shame will do is sin, shame tries to make your sin pervasive. It tries to say that it's, it's everywhere. It's not just this one area. You made a mistake there, you're a mess up everywhere. You, you, you couldn't work that relationship and it didn't work out. See, you can't work any relationship. That, that one job didn't work out. See, you can't ever hold down a job. That's what shame tries to do. Shame wants to put you in a hole that's so deep you'll never climb out of it and it's the one handing you the shovel. That's what shame wants to do. And the enemy wants you to sit right here today and listen to what I'm telling you and then grab another shovel full of shame and put it over your shoulder and just dig in deeper and deeper. Shame wants to tell you, that's good stuff, For somebody, but not for me. Like, if you knew what I dealt with, like, shame wants you to sit here and think, well, look around at all of these good church-going people. They're good people, but if you knew what I did, if you knew how terrible my sin was, you wouldn't let me back in this building. That's what shame says. That it may be true for someone, but it's not true for me, and that is a point-blank lie. It's not true. The third thing that shame tries to do is that shame tries to make your sin permanent. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. We all sin. Have you ever found yourself in the middle of something, if you were honest, and and said, man, that was a dumb mistake. (laughs) Boy, that was dumb. And, And not just was it dumb, but then you made another dumb decision after that, and then another one, and then by the time you're at this place, you go, how did I get here, and how do I get out of it? Come on! I can't be the only person in the house. So, so it makes me think of this time when I was a kid. I I had moved out of my parents' house, and I was a young guy. I I was living in my first apartment, right? And I was, I was all by myself, and I thought I was big time, and I was broke as a joke. Like I had no money, and I was living in this apartment. And I remember my sister came over to visit me one time, and and I guess she just kind of felt bad for me or whatever, because she looked in my kitchen, and I had like no groceries. And so she went out and got me some groceries, like a couple weeks worth, and uh, mo- it was mostly cold stuff, because she knows I can't cook to save my life. And, and so she was like, oh, well, here's some, you know, sandwich meat and some cereal and stuff. And, and one of the things that she got me, I have no idea why, but, but she got me this kit to make brownies. I don't know if she just like saw it and like, so she got me this kit. And so weeks went by, that got me out for, uh, for a couple of weeks. And I remember I was home from work and I was sitting there and it was my off day and, uh, and I, I had paid all my bills and everything, and so I had no money. And I was sitting around in my apartment, and I was looking around, and two thoughts occurred to me. The first one was, this place is disgusting. Um, it, it's really gross. I need to clean up. And the second thought is, I'm starving. I need something to eat. And so I started to clean up. So I picked up started doing all my laundry. So I picked up all my laundry from all around the house and I, I carried it downstairs. And the way this apartment complex worked, it, like there was community laundry rooms. So you had washing machine and dryer. So there's like three of them. And so like I had like a systems. I'm, a, I'm like a system guy. So like I would start the first one and then I'd wait a little while so that I could start the next one or whatever so that when the first one was done, I could put it in the dryer and, and, and then I could be folding. You know, I just had this whole system going. And so I went down there and I started it and I came back upstairs to find something to eat. And when I went into my kitchen... I opened up my refrigerator and the contents were exactly three eggs, one can of Mountain Dew, and a kit for making brownies. And I said, Come on, Jesus, it's brownie time. So so I went in this kit and I opened it up and I just kind of glanced through the directions. I'm like, I get the, how hard can it be with brownies? And so what I didn't know was the kit was actually designed for two. Things of brownies, two pans of brownie. It came with this brownie pan and it came with the the stuff and the oil. And so I didn't see that part. I just kind of poured all the contents in, and then I started making some substitutions. Like, I well, I don't have any milk, we'll just use this oil. And so I just used a little more oil than that. And then and, and so when I was all said and done, it was like this floating thing, and it would barely fit in the pan, right? And so I set it down, and it said, like, if you set it at a certain amount of time, it'd take you about 30 minutes before you were eating brownies. And I thought, man, if we just crank up the heat, we can get this done in half the time, right? We'll be eating brownies in 10 minutes. So I, like, cranked the oven up just as hot as it would go. And I took this thing, and I kind of gingerly placed it as close to, like, the heating element as I could, and I closed it up. And so I thought, okay, let me go check on that laundry. So I went back downstairs to the laundry and I'm getting up my laundry and, and, and so the first load was done so I folded that up nice and neat. I'm like, man, I am clean now. I'm gonna be eating brownies. This is the day. And so like, I guess I had spent too much time down there because in all this time of moving all of the stuff uh, over in the laundry room, I, I picked up the, my clean load of laundry and I started my way back up the stairs. And about the time that I did, I heard this ringing noise. And it was like, and it got louder and louder as I got closer and closer to my apartment. It's like, ee! I was like, what is that? So I opened up my door and smoke starts billowing out of my apartment. And I was like, oh no, the brownies! I had forgotten about them. And so I, I took my laundry, I ran into the kitchen, I set it down, and I looked in the oven and the brownies, I'm not kidding this, I'm not, I'm not making this up, are literally on fire. So there, there, there's flaming brownies in my oven. I was like, "Ha! Ah, well, I've got to do something about this. So I opened it up, but I'm a bachelor, so like, I don't have like oven mitts and nice things. I, like, I was like, hi, i, I, I got to get it out. And so I looked, and the only thing I had was like my clean laundry. And so like, I grabbed a couple of pair of underwear. And, and so I grabbed the underwear, and like, I went to the pan, and, and I got it, and I pulled it out of the oven. And when I did, it hit the oxygen. And as soon as it did, it went like, whoo, And I was like, ah. And so I, I, I thought, oh, my gosh, I've got to do something with these brownies. So I'm like going, trying to like, fan it out, and I thought, I'll put it in the sink, I'll put water on it. Um, now, apparently, this was a grease fire. Now, I didn't know this at the time, but I learned a valuable lesson that day. <laughs> grease and water are natural enemies. They hate each other. And so I put it in the sink, and I turned the water on, and when I did, it was like the flames of a thousand suns. I mean, it just went... Vroom! And I was like, ah! It's so I was like, oh my gosh, it's gonna burn the cabinets. It's like it was getting worse and worse and worse. So I grabbed another pair of underwear. And like I, I, I'm holding on to this pan and I open up my door and I'm running down three flights of stairs, going, fire, fire! <laughs> and so I open up the front door and, and I throw the pan and the underwear and the whole thing right out the door, and it's just this flaming, twirling mass of brownie mix. And a guy walks right past me as he did, but I couldn't pay any attention to him because I was like, I got to put this fire out. So I run up there and I'm like stomping the brownie mix and flames everywhere to put it out. And I'm out of breath and I'm tired and I look over and the guy I had passed was a police officer <laughs> that just so happened to be walking by my front door. And I said, hi, officer. And he said, son, as he handed me a slightly singed brownie covered pair of underwear, you mind telling me what you're doing? I said, sir, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. He said, try me. I said, I'm making brownies. And he said, well, I'm no chef, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it's done. Now, from that moment on, I was kind of scarred for life because I thought I'm never going back in the kitchen again because if I could do that to a pan of brownies, imagine what I could do to a casserole. I'm a dangerous man in that kitchen. And I'm serious like God forbid something ever happens to my wife. Somebody send food. We're in trouble I could take out a city block. But the the truth of the matter is, it's like shame kind of works in that same kind of way. It says that the failure of your life is who you are. You're tied to that failure. Why ever try? Because you messed up once, you should never try again. But that's not what Scripture says at all. Scripture says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. That means yesterday's failure can stay in yesterday. It doesn't have to follow me around. It's not permanent. I can start brand new and fresh every single day because God's mercies are brand new and fresh every single day. This is the part I get really excited about because I wanna show you how Jesus handles shame in your life. Jesus is both grace and truth. Did you know this? Some people try to make Jesus out to be one or the other. He's either grace or truth, but Jesus is actually both. He's grace He loves you. Even if you're in the middle of your sin today, even before you got to this church, you're in the middle of your sin, Jesus says, I love you. But he loves you so much that he won't leave you there. He doesn't want to just leave you in the middle of your sin. He says that I will be with you no matter what. And I would argue he loves you so much he cannot help but to tell you the truth, which is why this, write this down. Number one, Jesus always calls you out on your issue. He'll always call you out on this. Imagine if you were to leave today and you went to a mechanic and you said, just do a checkup on my car. And the mechanic looks it over and he says, you must be an automotive genius. This car is, the way you've been taking care of it is flawless, it's perfect, there's nothing wrong with this car. You say, thanks a lot, you pay the man, you take off. And then as soon as you leave there, the first stoplight you come to, you can barely stop In fact, you're almost gonna hit him and you have to like pull over to the side of the road and and you get out and you pop your hood and you look and you're completely out of brake fluid. You take it back to the mechanic and you say, hey, what gives? I'm almost out of brake fluid. What happened? And the, the mechanic says, yeah, about that. I knew you were out of brake fluid, but I thought if I tell you that, you might be angry with me. I might hurt your feelings. And I want this to be a safe place where you can feel loved and accepted. You would say, Are you insane? When it comes to my car, I don't want an ego boost. I want the truth. How much more important is it for your spiritual life that Jesus actually tells you the truth and he loves you enough to tell you the truth? He'll absolutely call you out on the truth. Now, the way that you respond when Jesus calls you out has a lot to do with how quickly you'll escape shame. What does the worst day of your life look like? The moment that I'm talking about pops in your head immediately. And I'm not talking like a brownie moment, I'm talking the moment that you made a mistake that you wish you had never done. That if you could time travel, you would go back in time and change it. There, in that moment, did you know Jesus was present? He was right there. He's the only one that loves you enough to stand with you in your mess. And he won't leave you there alone. Jesus had 12 people that he was, he was really close to. Was the, the 12 people that he was closer to than anyone else on the planet were the 12 disciples. And he hung out with these guys and he loved them and he taught them and he encouraged them. Did you know he called two of them the devil? That's Jesus, such an encouraging guy. Like, like these are the people that he's closest to and Jesus calls them flat out in Matthew chapter 16. He straight up calls Peter Satan. Peter was an interesting guy. I, I, I like Peter because I can identify with him. Peter was the kind of guy that like, let's do something even if it's wrong. You know what I mean? Like, he was going to, be, going to be doing something no matter what. He was never going to be called a man of inactivity. Now, sometimes that ended up brilliant. Sometimes it was flat out terrible. Sometimes Peter was walking on water, and other times he's like cutting a dude's ears off. And Jesus is like, what? Did you ever see me do this? No. And he like heals the guy's ear. But sometimes Peter was, was doing great things, sometimes terrible things. And one time, he was, Jesus was talking to him. And he was talking to the disciples. He said, here's what's going to go down. They're going to crucify me. They're going to kill me. And that just didn't line up with what Peter thought would, should happen. And so what Peter said is, no, Lord, we're not going to let that happen. That's not what's going to go down. How about that? Like, you ever correct God? Like, my plan's better than you, God. Let me fix this for you. But we, we say we don't do that. We do that all the time. And that's what Peter did. He said, no, this is not what's going on. And you know what Jesus says? Look, at, this is how it's recorded. In uh, Matthew 16, 23, Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. How bad is it when Jesus calls you the devil? I mean, like, I've had some good people in my life that I've made mad enough that they've called me some interesting things. But it's bad when Jesus says, you're the devil. (laughs) And that's what happened to Peter that day. But the truth is, Jesus will always call you out on your sin. Why? Because he wants to call you out of your sin." He wants to get you out of that. Jesus later would call another one of his friends, the devil. We know that friend is Judas. Judas, we know him um, because of his betrayal. That's what we've labeled him by. But the truth is, before he was ever a traitor, he was one of Jesus's best friends, and Jesus was trying his best to keep him from making his worst mistake of his life. Jesus was telling him to stop. In John 6:70, Jesus said. I chose the 12 of you, but one of you is the devil. I think he was looking right at Judas when he said it because that's the kind of guy Jesus was. He was the kind of guy that would call him out. Now, Jesus called both of these guys the devil, but both of them end up turning their backs on him and betraying him. Peter denies Jesus three different times. On three separate occasions to three different people, he cusses out a teenage girl and says, I'm telling you, I don't know him. And then, of course, Judas abandons him and sells him out. I think a lot of times we get so high and mighty about Judas. We think that Judas's sin was so much worse than Peter's because if we could do that, it was so much worse than ours and we can rank our sin. But the truth of, is, the, truth of the matter is both of them were traitors. Now, the outcome might have been worse for Judas, but the sin was exactly the same. They were both sellouts. Judas just had to pay a higher price. And we do too. We've done this this exact same way. Every time that we choose something else other than Jesus, we betray him. Every time we turn away from him, we look for something else to fill us, whether it's material possessions or substances or people or the lusts of the flesh. Every time we do this, you know what we're doing? We're turning our backs. We're worshiping something else. Now, both of these guys made horrible decisions, but afterwards, each one of them handled, handled things a little bit differently. And I want you to hear this because it's really important. Making a terrible decision is one thing. But how you handle that terrible decision is an entirely different thing. After Peter messed up, you know what he did? He went back to living the life of an old, the, his old life, just like he had lived before he met Jesus. And that's what shame does, doesn't it? It, it wants you to walk back and, and live a life before you met Jesus. See, before... Peter met Jesus. He was just another loud, obnoxious, cussing fisherman. But then he met Jesus and everything changed. Jesus said, I've got a purpose for you. I've got a vision for your life. You're going to be a, a, he changed his name from Simon to to Peter, the rock. It meant the rock. He said, you're going to go on and do amazing things. You'll be a pastor. You'll preach the gospel. And that's what Jesus had for him. But shame got him the, the moment he messed up. See, because he messed up and he messed up big time. He knew that. And then the full weight of what he had done was on replay in his mind. He was thinking things over and over and over about what he was doing. And the Bible says he went back and he was having the same results as he had in the past. He wasn't catching a thing. Has that ever happened to you? Like you've gone back, like you made a mistake, you blew your cool, you went too far, you stayed too long, you said the thing you shouldn't have said, you looked at the thing you weren't supposed to look at, and now there's this voice inside of you saying, You're just as bad as you always were. You'll always be that way. I find this so fascinating. The day Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to the women first. And those women became the first preachers of the gospel. And and he told those women to go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus is back. Now, I think this is interesting because I think those those women, they came and they told the disciples, hey, Jesus is back. We've seen him. We spoke to him. And they said, what? They got up off the couch and they said, tell me what He said, and they said, well, they said, Jesus said to go tell the disciples and Peter that he's returned. Now, if you're Peter, that's got to jack you up, right? Like, like he must have said, wait, 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 wait. Tell me exactly what he said. Did he say that word for word? The disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. In other words, go tell the disciples, the people who believe in me, the people who trust me, the people who follow me, and Peter. He wasn't included in the disciples, and I think that went right to Peter's head. And he kept replaying that over and over and over again because he couldn't get away from that moment. Judas was the exact same way. He was replaying what happened to him. He couldn't stop thinking about what he had done. He'd sold Jesus out for some cash. And so what Judas did is he went back to the people that that he got the money from, and he said, take this back, I can't live with this anymore. I I can't take it. It's It's on my mind, I can't live with this anymore. And they laughed at him in his face. And they said, no, you've got to live with that shame now. And the Bible records what happened next. In Matthew 27, it said, So Judas threw the money into the temple and left, and then he went away and he hanged himself. When you let sin become your identity, when you allow shame to dictate your actions, it will absolutely take you to a place that you can't come back from if you're not careful. And, and, and this is why I want you to write this down, number, th- number three, two in your notes. Jesus always calls you to come back. He's always calling you to come back. Come back to relationship with me. Come back into ministry. Come back into purpose. Come back into destiny. Come back into abundant life, the real life. Because Jesus loves a comeback story. He loves it because he himself was a comeback story. Death tried to hold him down and he couldn't hold him down. Jesus loves it because, and I want you to hear this, when, when, when he was crucified, your sin died with, you, with him. But when he got up from the dead, your hope got up too. And, and that's exactly what Jesus wants you to know because he did that for you so that no matter what it is you've ever done, it doesn't have to hold you any longer. And if you're here today and and you're replaying that loop in your mind that you are what you've done and you've made those mistakes and maybe that's who you are, I want you to hear this because I firmly believe this with every fiber of my being. Had Judas not done that next step, had Judas not killed himself, he would have heard those women say, go and tell the disciples and Peter and whatever you do, you got to tell Judas because I love that guy and he's got to hear that I'm back. Because Jesus knows every wrong thing you have ever done and he still loves you. And he's always making a way for you to come back. But Judas didn't do that. Judas allowed his worst moment to define him. The truth of the matter is, we should have in this Bible the gospel of Judas. That's what Jesus would have wanted. Not a Gnostic weird thing if you've ever heard about that. The real book that Judas wrote with his own hand that said, on the worst day, I made the biggest mistake of my life, but I didn't let it define me. I let Jesus tell me who I was. But instead of that, he didn't. He let his shame dictate his next actions. Now, Peter didn't go that far, but I think shame was working on him just as hard because Jesus appeared to him and the other disciples, but Peter hadn't yet recovered from that shame. And so what does he do? He goes back to living that old life. He goes back to being a fisherman, a loud, cussing fisherman, and that shame is just playing over and over in his head. I think Peter was saying stuff like, man, maybe that's all I'm ever gonna be. Maybe I'm just a hothead and a screw up. Maybe it'll always be the disciples, and Peter. And I think he was thinking about all of this when he was on the boat this, that morning. He was standing up on the boat, and he wasn't catching a thing, because that's what shame does. It sends you back into an old life just to find that those old ways still don't work. And he's out on this boat, and, and the Bible says he's butt naked. Do you know that? That's in your Bible. Read your Bibles. It's full of awesome stuff. Peter... Peter is out on the boat, and he's fishing naked. I'm not making this up. The guy's so jacked up that he's gone out fishing with the other disciples, just convinced them to go with him, and he's not wearing anything, and he's catching even less. Like, like that's where he's at right there. And that's when Jesus shows up, okay? So the Bible says this. Jesus shows up, and he says to him, hey, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now this is huge because the first time that Peter ever met Jesus was a situation just like this. He had been out all night catching nothing. They had not caught any fish. And then all of a sudden this rabbi comes out of nowhere and he says, hey, do this thing that doesn't make any sense. Go on the other side. It doesn't make any rational sense to Peter while that would work, but he does it. And when he does, he's amazingly successful. And it's at this moment that Peter and the other disciples realize the guy on the beach that's talking to us right now that's Jesus because we've seen this before and they get all really really excited Peter gets really excited he looks down at what he's doing and he realizes I'm naked and fishing this is not who Jesus wants to see and look what it says it says as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped in the water Peter puts his clothes back on and then jumps in this is, this is, I'm not making this up. This is what the Bible says. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. I think the Bible's so cool. John is his buddy. He's writing this story, and he feels compelled to put that in the story. In other words, he's saying, you know, if Peter, he's swimming, right? And, and the boat is going. In other words, they get there right about the same time. And John's saying, you know, if Pete had just stayed on the boat with us, he'd have got there. But that's not who Peter was. He couldn't do it. Because Peter, the, the real Peter, the Peter that Jesus knows, is the Peter that gets out of the boat. It steps out and takes a risk. And when Peter looked and he saw that it was Jesus, he thought, I've got to do what, the only thing that I know to do. Because the one who knows my real ident- identity, the one who, who knows who I really am, is standing there on the shore. And I've got to get out of this boat. Because the Jesus that, that it can change everything is there. And I've got to do everything that I can do to get to him. And the the same is true for you today. The same is absolutely true. The Jesus that can change your identity is right here. And the real you might be hidden behind some guilt and some shame. And Jesus is saying, that's not what I put you here on this earth to experience. See, he's got a plan for your life. You're here for a reason. And I don't mean just like here this morning. I mean, you're here in this time in history. You are here in this sphere of influence at your work, at your school, at your job. God puts you on this planet at this point for a reason. And it's immeasurably more than you can think. He wants you to go on an adventure with him. He wants you to expand the kingdom. He wants you to share the gospel. And sometimes what we do is we allow the enemy to get us off track. And take us off the assignment that God has for us. And sometimes we make terrible choices. But but don't follow the way of Judas. Judas ended it all. Follow Peter. Peter jumped all in. He said, I'm going all in. I'm going after the one that could change everything. You could write this down. Number three. Jesus always makes a way. He always makes a way. Peter denied Jesus three times. And it was the worst day of Jesus' life. It was the worst day of Peter's life. Three separate occasions, he completely disowned him. And what does Jesus do? He makes a way to restore Peter. The same way that Peter had denied Christ three times, three times Jesus restores Peter. Right there on that beach, as he's wringing out his wet clothes that he had just put on to jump into the water to get to Jesus. Jesus makes a way for him to unload the baggage that he'd been carrying. Watch how it's recorded. He says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because the, the truth can sometimes do that. It can sting. But Jesus loves you enough to present it to you. He's hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. What was Jesus doing here? Why did he ask him the same question three times? The same thing three times over and over and over again. Now, theologians will tell you all the incredible things that Jesus was doing in that passage, and it's incredible. Three times Peter had denied Jesus, and and three times Jesus gives him a way to make it back, to redeem him, to restore him. And he's talking about how you're going to feed my lambs. Well, what are lambs? We're we're sheep. He's telling Peter, you're going to do something incredible in life. This is not going to lock you, and it's not going to hold you. You are going to go in, and you're going to preach, and you're going to pastor people. You're going to be a shepherd, and he's doing all kinds of incredible things in that, but I think Jesus was doing something really incredible right there too because I think Peter was living with the echo of his own words. Every time he looked at Jesus, every time he thought about Jesus, he thought about his words saying, I don't know him. I tell you the truth. I don't know him he was replaying that over and over and over in his mind. And what Jesus was doing right here was writing a new script. He wanted Peter to think that every time he thought of Jesus, every time he, he, he spoke about Jesus, now instead of his own words that I don't know you, he would hear his own words, you know I love you. And Jesus was rewriting Peter's inner monologue. I think that's what he wants to do for some of you today. I, I think some of you have been listening to the, to the wrong voice for too long. You're listening to your past shame. You're listening to the accuser tell you you are what you did, and that's not true. And that same Jesus that was on the beach that day is right here ready. And if you would just turn that over to him and release the burden that you've been carrying, Jesus will give you peace. Will you bow your heads with me today, all over the house? Just bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, that's exactly what I've been dealing with. I've been replaying my mistake on loop for a long time. Just like that, you're carrying it, you're holding on to it. It It's not what Jesus intended for you. It is not how he designed this. He says, look, I'll do all the work. I'll pay everything there is to pay. All you have to do is say yes to it. The last words he spoke on the cross were a word that's translated tetelestai. It means it is finished. It is paid for. There's nothing else you can do except say yes to it. And if you've been dealing with that, I want to pray with you. I'm not going to single you out in any way. I'm not going to call you forward or make you stand up or anything like that. But just right here in this moment, while every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you'd say, yes, that's me. That's what I've been dealing with. That's what I've been struggling with, and I want to let it go today. Why don't you just lift up your hand right where you are? God bless you. Yes. Yes, who else? Yes, drop it and let it go. God bless you. Yes, just let it go. God bless you. So good. Yes, I see your hand. Yes. Right where you are. You can put your hands down. We're going to pray together. And I want you to use my words. You can use mine, just make them your own. The Bible says if you believe it in your heart and you confess it with your mouth, then you're set free. So, all over this house, we're going to pray this out loud to encourage those making that decision today. Why don't you pray it this way? Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. I know I've messed up and I know I've sinned. I need a Savior. So, I open up my heart to you now and I invite you in to be the Lord of my life. I give you total control wash me, forgive me of my sins, and make me new again. And from this moment forward, I'll never be the same. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. Come on, in this house, why don't you give God praise? Oh, you could do better than that. They went over from death to life. Yeah, give God praise today.